the turnout at the end of our long day. It's been great, but it's it's tiring. Um, so I'm Kathy Corbin, the math coach at Proctor Elementary School, and I was asked to do this session to facilitate a discussion about PNOA. Um, and just a little background, um, PNOA, we think of typically K to two. There is a pre-K assessment now um, that our preschool teacher has been using and really likes. So that might be something if you're a school or you are not familiar with, you might look into that. There also is an ENOA out now for third grade. And we didn't include that in this session because I have very little experience with it. But uh, you know, towards the end, if there's time, if anyone wants to talk about that, we could talk about it briefly. Um, and it might be something that we explore. In, in general, my understanding for this session was that everyone who's participating has experience with PNOA and the purpose of this. I see Wade laughing. He's OK. He has permission to be here. <laughs> um, so the purpose of this is to just discuss how it's being used in different schools in our district and share whatever might be um, useful to the group. Um, this is not a training, but what could come out of this is an understanding for the need for training. So um, if you are aware that there are people in your building using PNOA who haven't had formal training, they've just kind of been coached by someone else who has, um, or new people on board who just are getting started with it. And we need to look into getting formal training. Um, our coaches, our district level coaches would like to know that, or perhaps your administrator would be a good place to go um, because we should set up that training. The understanding of Sandy and Lori who developed this test along with a team of people, they developed it, I believe back in 2009 and 10 in that school year they worked on it. And it was at the request of the agency of education. Um, and it was a team that built it. Um, but Sandy and Lori, Sandy Stanhope and Lori Silvis um, do offer ongoing trainings. Last year they offered training to give it virtually, which was pretty interesting. I did the training, um, never actually had to administer it, but they were very involved in trying to make it um, accessible and useful during remote learning as well. So that was kind of neat. So that is out there if you ever have the need for it. So back to our purpose for today. Again, it's not a presentation per se. I, I don't have anything to, to show you. I'm here to present topics or ask questions and open it up for discussion. Um, in getting that going, I'm curious about what you would be interested in. So I'm only gonna use the chat here at the beginning. I don't really like to use the chat a lot because I forget to go to it or um, unless I have someone else monitor it, I, I tend to not do well with that. But if you would like to go to the chat now and just indicate if there's anything really specific that you were hoping to get out of this conversation today, just put that in there. And I can use that um, as a guide for the focus topics or questions um, that I'm going to use to facilitate this conversation. So I'm just going to give you a minute or so to think about that and add any any. Um, comments to the chat that you would like to. So some things to think about might be if you're interested in how different schools um, administer the test, for example, just the details of when, how often, um, where, is it in the classroom or pull versus pull out, um, classroom teacher, who's giving it, classroom teacher, interventionist, coach, um, and then I guess if, if you choose to give the entire assessment parts of it and how that's structured, so anything like that. A big piece of what I would be interested in is um, if 
people have a way of collecting the data and sharing it or keeping a record of it. I know some places have used Alpine in the past um, and how that information is used. How do classroom teachers use that? Is it something that is administered and then put in a file somewhere or is it actually something that you go back to frequently, um, do updates, those kinds of things. So we can talk about any of that. I'm just gonna look in the chat to see what you're interested in. Looks like we need some training. And Kayla is asking, are we required to do PNOA? So I'm gonna actually ask other, um, I'm gonna close the chat for now. So if you put something back in there, I might not see it for a little while, but I will check back in. I can um, monitor it for you too, Kathy. Thank you, Jenny. Um, is it required? So my understanding is that it's somewhat of a school by school decision. Um, if anyone else out there, Jenny, Becky, Amy, have input onto that, please let me know. Yes, that's correct. School by school. School by school decision. Um, so I will just start and explain my understanding where Proctor is. Of course, for I'm fairly new here. This is my third year, and my experience has been through a year and a half of COVID, so nothing was typical in most of my experience here. My understanding is that it is up to teachers. Um, whether or not to use PNOA, we don't. My understanding is we don't really have a school-based decision made, but I would like for us to use it. Um, I think our decision will be more on: Do we administer the whole test to all students? Um, do we administer it parts of it to all students, um, or do we use it as more of a screening tool? So the PNOA was originally written as a formative assessment but the benchmarking pieces were added so that you get a score and you can see if kids are um, below, at, or above um, the expectation for that point in their grade level. So for example, in January, when you give the assessment, you would get a score and could look in a chart, as you know, and see if, if, that's, if they're where they should be in January or if they're above or below that expectation. So the benchmarking was added. Um, and some, there would be an option to use it as a summative assessment, only use it at the end of the year. So it can be used in different ways and it can be used in multiple ways simultaneously as well. And more recently, I think schools are using it as an identification tool for intervention. So possibly only giving it to some students who we want more information about. And in my opinion, this one-on-one -on -one interview format of the PNOA is the best way to get that information. Um, information that you can use the next day for planning and instruction, especially in our small groups. So I'm wondering, I'm going to call on Amy or Becky to kind of explain um, what's going on with how you use PNOA now that we know it's not required. If you could explain a little bit about how your school uses it. And then if there are other schools represented, we'd love to hear from anybody else. I'm happy to go ahead and share how we use it at Butland Town. Um, the plan this year has gotten a little different since COVID um, and since we adopted MAP. Um, we never used to have MAP, so we used to do K-2 to every single K-2 student PNOA um, three times a year we used to do it. And teachers would administer it and they would get subs. Um, and it took teachers out of the classroom for quite a bit of time, but it was really valuable information and we actually really loved it. 
Um, and I would say toward the end, maybe half the teachers were like, oh, this just takes too long. And they didn't really use it correctly, I would say. So when MAP came along, um, I, I really did some look at the data to see, did MAP catch all the kids that PNOA thought we thought it should catch? And it ended up really like we we did both. I did PNOA and we did MAP and we looked at the data and said, wow, MAP actually flags more kids because you know it also flags those kids who aren't so good at taking a computer test or that kind of thing. So um, we choose now to use MAP as like a screener and if kids fall um, under a certain percentile, and you can determine that at your school, but we say under a certain percentile, then we're going to dig deeper. Um, so I'll, I actually take the kids who fall in that category. So either A, we have proof that yes, they need intervention, and here's the exact things I'm going to focus on. So I use it as my teaching tool for what I'm going to do in intervention, and I refer back to it constantly to figure out what I'm going to work on with my kids. Um, and then it also identifies like, oh, this kid actually has a lot going on for them. They're just not good at computer assessments or something must have happened that day. So it allows us to say this kid does need intervention or this kid doesn't because I agree with Kathy that one-on-one -on -one is like matches no other assessment. There's no other assessment out there, in my opinion, that gives you the data you can get from a one-on-one. -on -one. And PNOA is so spelled out so nicely that you really know what the kids know when you're done working with them and um, what they're ready to learn next and um, so we, we're going to do that three times a year this year with k to two um, as soon as we get map data i'm going to look at it i'm going to say okay these are the five kids i want from your room i'm going to test them within the next two weeks and i'm going to try to get every kid in in two weeks in k to two that needs um, further looking and it allows me to show progress for the kids i work with too so i really like it for that aspect because it shows the growth over the year, being the same assessment given three times. So I really like that aspect too. I feel like kids don't fall through the cracks with this assessment. So that's how we use it here. Becky, do you um, set up your progress monitoring in a way that like that your weekly or however often you do your progress monitoring with intervention, do your tasks or your assessments match some PNOA tasks, do you set them up to be similar or not necessarily? Depending on the needs of the group, um, I really like look at what the kids needs. Like, you know, sometimes there's kids that just need a little bit of work on backward sequencing. So I'll say, okay, this week I'm going to take kids that need backward sequencing. And then at the end of the week, we'll do some kind of a, whether it's observation or, you know, in because I have a small group. So sometimes I can just do like a quick check as we're going through the activities that day. Got it, got it, got it. Ooh, this one needs more time. You know, that kind of thing. It's not very formal. I don't typically do paper, pencil kind of um, check-ins because they're only K to two and I can really, in my small group, tell who's getting it and who's not. Um, so yeah, it totally matches what's in PNOA, what I work on. And those are my goals, like, you know, because People say sometimes, oh, I hate to teach to the test, but you're really not. You're teaching to the skills that the kids need to be solid with at that grade level. And if you are teaching to those skills, hallelujah, the kids are going to be ready for the next grade is how I think about it. You know, you really do need to teach to that test because that test assesses what they need to know. So, you know, the concepts of the test. Like you don't want to say the exact numbers. I always try to use different numbers and things, but the concepts of that test are what we need to assess. Right. 
because the PNOA was built on standards, it is standards-based, and it is focused on number and operations. Um, so in a sense, I think the beauty of it is that the developers of the test have already narrowed, they've already prioritized what's most important for kids at any grade level in order to be successful at the next grade level. These are the things they've already identified. So we can't provide intervention for every skill. So in a sense, they've already done that narrowing for us. If we mm -hmm. focus on using this assessment, the exception, I would say, the piece that's missing in my mind that we've supplemented here starting last year, we developed a little assessment, um, is for kindergarten. Um, it doesn't have a piece that includes um, object counting and cardinality. So we added something to, to because that's the big concept of kindergarten. So I think that's the only missing piece, but otherwise I think everything that's in PNOA absolutely is the most important and we're, we're identifying the standards that they need to work on. Yeah, um, and the counting and cardinality, we check with that number corner baseline that you give right at the first week of school. That checks that. Do they have one-to-one -one correspondence up to seven, I think it is, and then do they have cardinality? So, you know, they have them count, and then you say, okay, how many were there? And then if they can tell you, and then you add some more, and you see if they count on, or do they have to start back at one? So that's a pretty cool little screener in the beginning that's that's actually what i used to form my first kindergarten groups is the number corner baseline because it's so fast and you do it with the whole kindergarten class in a couple of days you know so thank you mm -hmm. amy do you want to talk about how you use sure um because i rely a lot on becky <laughs> um to kind of tag team off of what she's doing uh it's very similar um the plan this year um is the same i'd like to use map as a universal those who are not um who, those who are below the 40th percentile uh, i will go ahead and do some pnoa on there's some kids who are tagged from last year's map that i'm going to do even before we do map and that will kind of make my caseload a little smaller um, and give me some things to focus on uh, over the next couple of weeks um, however, one thing I would really like to add is everybody get it at the end of the year because that'll help us with two things. Number one, it'll be like a final record of what they can do at that grade level. Um, and number two, it would be um, really helpful for next year's teacher to know what area um, each child is strong with or a little weak with. But we haven't made, we haven't finalized that. I know. I was talking to Sandy um, Stanhope as well, and she said if anybody is going to do it, if if it's she really recommends everybody all three times, but she understands the time constraints and the subs and et cetera. But if we could make it happen so everybody is done at the end of the year instead of the beginning of the year, that kind of saves us a little bit of time for next year. Um, so again, like I can pull some kids who have been targeted already and it's already done before maps even happens um and then we can kind of adjust the slide by that uh, so that's kind of how i've been planning on using it and that's what my administrator supports as well but we haven't finalized that end of the year piece yet um, i guess we're kind of waiting to see what everyone else is doing how the year progresses what our subs look like what our calendar because we're also doing the interims this year too the SBAC interims so um seeing what all that stuff looks like before we say yep plan a day or two to piano away and I'm always going to do my intervention kids 
So classroom teachers wouldn't have to do everybody. They would do everybody that I'm not doing. I just want to piggyback off what you said, Amy. You made me think of a couple things um, that we had conversations about at the end of last year. Um, we were finding that like uh, Bridges does a really nice job of teaching conceptual understanding and we love that. Um, but we also feel like when we used to do the PNOA, teachers were much more aware of the skills kids needed to have. And it was almost like a a nice little reminder like, oh yeah, I'm going to be giving the piano away in January and they got to be able to do this. I need to make sure I'm fitting this in, you know, the skill. And it was really like a good thing because it was their skill builder and whether they felt like Bridges hit it well enough or not, they could supplement if they needed to, but they didn't skip those activities that did those things like in number corner and things like that. Um, so I, I missed the reflective piece of it because I feel like teachers at the end of the year would go, ooh, for some reason, my kids didn't do so well in this category. I need to do something next year to make that easier for them because I, you know, something must have happened. Um, so I do miss that piece. I feel like some things are getting pushed to the wayside a little bit, not because they mean to, just because it's like not forefront in their mind anymore, you know? Thank you. Um, I've written down notes from things that you've both said that I want to continue conversations about some things, but I want to make sure that we hear from every school. Is there another school represented that um, would like to tell us how PNOA is used in your school? I think we have Middletown, right? Hi, yes. Um, so after I had the training in whatever year I said, 2012, I always used it administered it three times a year. Um, when we started using the MAP testing, I used it primarily for students either, well, for students that I questioned um, the results of their math scores because some I wasn't seeing that, that particular performance within the classroom, yet they did extremely well on the MAP testing. And then there were others that um, I felt that had more skills than what the map testing showed. And then the last year and a half, I didn't use it at all. But I, you know, I enjoyed using it. I like the data. I like the one-on-one. -on -one. Um, it, it allows me that time with the students. It allows me to have a better understanding of what their thinking is. And I just always found it, a, a lot of value in the piano way. Thank you. I, I think whenever, and you're a classroom teacher, Sherry? Yes. I think whenever possible, and I think the the team that developed PNOA would recommend that if the classroom teacher can give it, if, if time and release time is available, that it's ideal for the reasons that Becky, I think, just talked about, that you, you really get a good sense of what the skills are that kids need at your grade level and where your kids are with those. Um, and I also think that a lot of us in doing this don't only score, but make a lot of notes. Um, and there, there is a guide, and I can share this out if people don't have it, but um, I came across this administration resource packet that's, I believe, from uh, 2016, so not new. But um, there are the recording protocols. Um, and I think when Becky, maybe when you mentioned teachers weren't giving it 
um, correctly, or at least maybe there wasn't consistency between the way teachers are administering the test, that some of that might be a factor in recording. I think a big part of what we look at with PNOA is not just obviously right or wrong answer, but what the student is doing um, to get to that right or wrong answer. What's their strategy? What's their thinking? Um, we could have a conversation around fluency and automaticity and how that is factored into some tasks if we have time, if there's an interest there. Um, so I think that um, there's a lot of value in all those anecdotal notes that we make. And I think for classroom teachers to administer the test and have those notes is really valuable versus if someone gives it, someone else gives it and hands you the paperwork, it's less meaningful for you for sure. So it would be great, Sherry. I, I'm hoping you're planning to try to um, do it again since you've found value in it. Um, and I hope that our, our administrators support that, allowing the time for it. Um, is there any other school, um, that anyone else who would like to talk about another school? Okay. Um, so I'm looking at my notes on other topics. I'm wondering um, about the data collection piece. So for example, Amy suggested you might want to do this at the end of the year. Um, and I'm wondering when you have a whole grade level or grade levels of that information of PNOA, then how do you collect and organize and use that information? Would you be willing to talk about that a little or may perhaps what's your intent with that since this is something you're going to add? So there is a spreadsheet that is available. I don't, I received it from a couple of colleagues, um, some through the district and some from the school um, that have automatic graders with them. It automatically turns it yellow, orange, green, or whatnot. Um, literally, you just plug in the scores and it scores it all up for you. So it's a great visual. Um, it's something you can, um, I moved it from Excel, I believe, to Google Doc or Google Sheet. So it can be shared with the grade level colleague and everyone inputs their information in the same spot and it's right there. Um, so you don't have to print anything off if you don't want to. You just look through and um, you can see really clearly all the reds, you can see the greens, you can see the yellows, and um, so on. Is that something you can share? Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to share it. Um, does anybody, anybody who has that same thing know if we are allowed to share it? Because I know it was purchased. Yeah, I don't know, Amy. I had to purchase it from a woman named Polly Stone on Teachers Pay Teachers. Does that sound familiar, Kathy? Yes. Yes, I've met her and now this is all yeah. coming back to me. It so yeah. an amazing spreadsheet. I love it because it does have this individual report that you can print out to give to parents. And it's real short and sweet. It tells them like what exactly the skill was and what their score was, whether they were meeting or not. It's in each category. It's really nice. Okay. Teachers use it. They send it home. I think we want to make sure that anyone in our district who's using PNOA has that, and and I would hope we could come up with money to purchase it for them. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's still available, right? Um, um, we can look. We can check. Yeah. Have, so, is it year? Is it years? Like, is kindergarten in isolation is first grade, or is it for a student? Can you get like the three-year continuum? They have a progression document that you can plot your student on yourself. 
um, and it, that's the K to two, it's the whole th three years, but on that individual, it's just by grade level. So and the three year, spring. Okay. So the three year that you're talking about, that's from PNOA, not from Poly, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes, I do have that. Um, so people who are listening to all of this, if there are things that we're talking about that you have an interest in or you know, I'm, I'm planning to look into to all these resources and pull them together and be able to share them with whoever is interested on um, things that can be shared. Obviously, if it's something purchased um, that isn't intended to be shared, we'll figure that out. But um, just let me know. Send me an email if there are things that we're talking about that you would like more information about or access to if it's possible. I've developed some just um, documents of my own for classroom teachers. I can just show you a quick well, it probably took me too long to find it. I, I don't want to take your time to do that. But basically, I've set up charts broken down for each grade level, um, the different um, skills that are assessed, the different tasks that kids are asked to do, and a chart where I can put in. So I have a class um, composite sheet is basically what it comes down to. So I can share with Josh after his class is given the assessment each um, component and where his kids fall, you know, their names listed under, um, below, at, or above, or whatever the labeling is for those achievement levels and what their score is. So it kind of breaks it down that way. And in my mind, that would be like a first sort. So then I might take that group that's put together for this skill as a performing below where we would like them to be at this point in the year. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily put them in a small group together. I would look deeper at what did they do, because especially things that um, get scores for fluency or automaticity, some kids might have, uh, two kids might have the same score for very different reasons. One might be correct and fluent for some and not others. Um, they might have incorrect answers and might have actually a misconception that's identified there. And another student might have them all correct but not get the fluency piece. So their scores might be identical, but for very different reasons. So I think when you look at scores, obviously you're just, that's a first sort, but then you need to dig in and see why did they get that score? What's going on with them? And then form your groups based on their understanding or skill level, not their score. Um, if that, I hope that makes sense. Um, so I've just created my own documents for kind of organizing that one for kind of a class at a glance look after the test has been given. Um, and I think this year we'll use it more in our school for identifying kids for intervention and kind of tracking them. Um, I don't know if there's a classroom teacher who would like to talk a little bit about how they use information that's gained after their students have had um, the PNOA and you get the data back, or if you've given it yourself, what, what you do with that? Any volunteers, Josh or anyone? Sure. I, I, I mean, I, th I think, um, what I find interesting is, especially given the, any assessment, um, is finding the students who get the right answers, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Um, you know, if you can catch those limiting limiting strategies, strategies that have an endpoint because it'll only work so far, and um, and whether that was when I was teaching middle school or now primary, you know, kids will have a strategy that'll work even for maps. Um, but if you're not, and you're just getting being given that report, and you're not interacting with that assessment with them, either interview or follow up. 
as now they're vacuuming the hallway, as you can hear. Um, you know, you don't necessarily know even why they got right answers. So that's the one reason why I'm always a little hesitant when we only give an assessment to um, to students who we've, who we've identified as maybe needing intervention. So we used the MAPS assessment, and now we're going to go to a different screener because this first one said maybe um, because we don't necessarily know if the kids that were successful were successful with successful for the ways that are going to allow them to grow even more. Um, and that's always what I'm interested in, in giving any kind of assessment is, is uh, how can this information now help me move forward with everybody, I guess. If I were a classroom teacher, I'd give it three times a year to all my kids. Just saying, I got, when I was a classroom teacher, I did give it three times a year to all my kids because of the information you get from it. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the reason I won't get give it up with the kids that map flags is because those are the kids I work with. You know, so that's how I hold myself accountable. Like I don't have other assessments that I can go to and say, look, I sat down with this kid and this is how they, how their brain is working right now. And, you know, and I can say that, I could say that about all the students and I would go to a meeting and be like, you know, I'd have it all because I did my one-on-one -on -one interview and I, it's just so valuable. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. The only, the only one that I find difficult and sometimes is that kindergarten, November or, or October, whenever you give that first one, and that's sometimes, even with the um, FNP, that can actually be pretty quick. Maybe it's only a half day, depending on your class and, and where they start that kindergarten year. Uh, but for sure, starting in first grade, I would be in favor of that three times a year check-in. I mean, it, it's valuable time to sit with the kids. Um, I know it's a lot of time, but it's, I think it's pretty valuable. So something you said, Josh, leads me to this question um, for anyone who can comment on it. Um, I guess I'm wondering about the use of off-grade level PNOA. So for example, if in the beginning of kindergarten, you're giving your all of your kindergartners the kindergarten PNOA, and you find that there are kids who are not successful with anything or very little, it gives you very little information. And we certainly want it to be um, an asset focus. We want to say, what can kids do so I can build on it, just like you said. And wherever they are, if they're at a beginning level, if they're right where they should be, or if they're above where we would expect a typical beginning of kindergartner to be, we want to know that. We want to know where they are so we can move them all forward. Um, so if you have kids at the beginning of kindergarten who um, can do very little or none of the tasks you're asking them to do, have you ever gone back and use the pre-K NOA. Um, and I would open that up to anyone at any grade level. Um, you could go back and give, especially in the beginning of a year, give the previous years um, so that you get information that tells you what they can do and what they do know. I haven't gone off grade level before. Uh, the kindergarten, I think they both kindergarten and first grade have that um, preliminary bar. There's like some if you get this far, it means this, if you get, and so I've kind of used that as a guide uh, to help me, but I haven't, um, I haven't gone off grade level uh, to do 
to do any. I know um, our, my special educator uh, has done that with uh, students who are on like um, maybe a more severe IEP than, um, than others just to kind of find a spot. But she would be using that for like reporting out on um, that special ed targeted kind of um, a report. But I, I haven't personally done it. No. And you're right. They do the for the kindergarten one would have a pre-K. The like the first task is often a prior grade level. But if you wanted more of that, so if those were the only ones that they were successful for, successful with, and you wanted to do more, you could do the previous years. But and also on the other end, if you have kids who in September have shown that they have achieved most of those skills, we would want to you know start talking about let's give them the next years to see where where they are and where they need to work. So those are just things for people to be aware of that I don't think it happens that often, but that could be certainly an option. Uh, Kathy, when we used to do it whole school that we left that as optional for the teacher because of the time component. So if, if they did have a kid max out and they wanted to go to the next grade level they could, or if they didn't have enough information, they could go below. And sometimes I've had to give it like the third grade ENOA I administered to a sixth grader last year, just for special ed meeting collection. So Becky, in your school where you are, and I think primarily for Amy, although that may change, um, you're using it as an identification tool for intervention from your perspective. But is, am I correct in saying if a classroom teacher wanted to administer to the rest of their students, they could, right? Absolutely. I would encourage that. Yeah. Do you think you have anyone who does? I think I know I have one who really likes doing it. Um, and Sandy Stanhope also says it's best for classroom teachers to do it versus mm -hmm. somebody else to come in and do it because they're your students and they that's it's the information that you need to teach because you are a tier one. You are you you are the one who is responsible for ensuring these um, standards and not the interventionists, not the special educators. Um, so knowing where they are is going to help you as the teacher, classroom teacher, um, but it certainly helps me as the interventionist a lot too. Mm -hmm. So I don't mind doing it for my students, but it's not appropriate for me to do it to somebody else's students, students that I don't see. I think in the past I've done more of it than I probably should. And I think that I really want to encourage classroom teachers to do it. And I really think administration needs to support that. Um, from what I read in the um, little booklet I have here on administration that it should be done. It, if you're looking at the data as far as at a class or at a school level that it should all be given within a two week period for it to really be valid to be able to look at the data um, for it to be accurate, I guess, you know, as far as comparing anything and looking at grade level or school wide data it should be done within a two week window. Um, so just to keep that in mind, I think we're all small enough that that's not a problem, but for bigger schools, that could be a big deal. Um, anyone else want to bring up any kind of topic for discussion or a question you might have? We'll definitely look into the need for training in the district. We'll look into the need for everyone getting updated forms and 
um, materials. So we're thinking the most recent that any of us has is uh, August of 2019. And look into sharing what we can of data collection tools or sheets. Any other topics for discussion? Questions? I think everybody's tired. Yeah, it's been a long day. <laughs> We're so good to go. <laughs> if things if things come up, um, send me an email, please. Um, and I will try to coordinate pulling together maybe a folder that I can share um, with some information with updated things um, with all of you, certainly. And then you can share them out to anyone else who might be interested. Well, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate your um, 